Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, this is Marlene Schwartz. I am the Deputy Director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, and we are delighted today to welcome our guest, Dr. Ronette Breifel, who is visiting us from Mathematica Policy Research in Washington, D.C. Um, Dr. Breifel is an expert on children's nutrition, specifically very young children, infants, toddlers, and preschoolers. And she will be talking to us today about some of the research that she's done with this population and some of the policy implications of that work. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. So why don't we start off just with a general overview of what the food consumption patterns are for young children in the United States? Well, we have conducted large national, national evaluations or studies of the general population and the low-income population, and have really found that the infant and toddler period is a critical period when, when eating habits in the family are developed. Uh, we have a very good set of infant dietary guidelines in this country, and when children are regularly going to their pediatricians and seeing them for well care visits and whatnot, Infant feeding, by and large, is uh, fairly good. But as soon as children start leaving breast milk and formula and baby foods or pureed foods and moving to the family diet, table foods, etc., we start to see a very high increase in sugar-sweetened beverages, low-nutrient foods that are really high in calories for the nutritional value they're providing. And the period between one and two-year-olds one and two years is really a critical period when those eating habits are established. Uh, for example, there's a recommendation that children consume five or more fruits and vegetables. Well, one out of three toddlers and preschoolers don't consume any amount of fruit or vegetable on any given day in, That's in, really in this country. That's really surprising because, yes. yeah, you would think that young children would at least be eating some fruit. Yes. Wow. And some are, but a very small proportion, maybe only a quarter, one in four, are meeting the five-a-day recommendation. So fruits and vegetables have been shown to be inversely related with the risk of childhood obesity. So probably a key message for parents, for health care providers, for folks who work with uh, young families, with young children, is to really reinforce that trying fruits and vegetables. And it takes multiple times, can take up to 10 times, for an infant or a toddler to try a new food before they develop uh, a preference for it. So if it doesn't work the first time, keep trying. I think that that is such an important message for parents. And I, I think that sometimes parents get so worried that their child mm -hmm. isn't eating enough that it is like they give up and they just mm -hmm. want to default to something, you know, like french fries or something where they know their child will eat it. I've, I've seen that a lot. And it's so important, I think, for parents to remember that you know they that their child is going to eat eventually then you need mm -hmm. to keep just providing access to these healthy foods and trust that the child will as you said eventually develop a preference for them but it does sometimes feel like it's fighting against the parents own anxiety mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. their child not getting enough to eat um, can you talk a little bit about the role of television um, with young children? Sure. Um, there have been a number of reports, such as that by the Institute of Medicine, about uh, the relationship between media influencing uh, children's preferences or dietary food consumption. And in particular, we actually asked about, in this 2008 national study, 
um, TV watching and activity. And we found that only 2% of toddlers, which are 12 to 23 month olds, met the recommendation of no TV time wow. or, or video screen time. And in the two and three year olds, about uh, 30% well, 20% were meeting the recommendation of two or fewer hours. But by the time of a three-year-old, a, a high proportion are exceeding that uh, recommendation. And among those that are watching TV, among the three-year-olds, we found that one in four had a TV or video screen in their bedroom where they sleep wow. or where they're in the room where they sleep. So that's another area that's at a very early age, not only increased exposure to inactivity in terms of TV watching, video time, but also in the place where uh, children sleep, as opposed to having that be a room where the child is just sleeping. Yeah, the whole phenomenon of children having TVs in their bedrooms is so interesting. Mm -hmm. we've, we've looked at that, too, in some of our research and found that, I think in New Haven, we actually found it was around 80% of our right? sixth graders had televisions in their bedrooms. And um, you know, I try to understand why parents would do that, and I do think there are these benefits of sort of knowing your child is safe and entertained and, mm -hmm. you know, in their, in their room and giving you freedom to take care of other things. But I feel, again, I feel like parents need to recognize the costs as mm -hmm. well, and that's such an important message to get out there. Um, how about physical activity? What sorts of things have you all learned about that? Uh, we have looked at physical activity in terms of outdoor playtime, uh, primarily outdoor playtime in the particular study I was involved in, and found that only about 60% were meeting the recommendation of one hour or more of some sort of activity in a day among the three-year-olds. So certainly another behavior that can be um, improved by families and child care providers, preschool preschools is to encourage or allow that sufficient time for some sort of physical activity because that's the energy expenditure side of the uh, obesity problem. Uh, another important thing I wanted to mention in terms of parents' perceptions that you mentioned, uh, parents don't really perceive overweight as being a problem among their young children. We asked them how they felt their child's weight was, and they were much more likely, three to four times more likely, to say their child was underweight than overweight. Wow. It's the complete opposite of what the national data show in terms of uh, measured you know, body weight and body mass index. So the perception out there in terms of the social norms about what's a normal or a healthy weight have really become skewed with the increasing prevalence of child obesity. So I think many researchers, public health professionals, policymakers are really looking at how do we change social norms so that the recognition of childhood obesity and diet and activity early in age kind of change the context that, that we all live in, in terms of identifying it as a problem. Right. And that's so difficult if the parents don't even see it as a mm -hmm. problem. And mm -hmm. um, it is striking. We, we did a research study, too, in, in preschools where we were trying to identify which children were overweight visually, and mm -hmm. then we did measurements. And we found we were terrible at it, too. Sure. And sure. we were researchers, <laughs> and they weren't even our own children, where you might have a bias to sort of see them in a more positive light. And it, it is astonishing how mm -hmm. much the visual sort of norm of what a child's body looks like has shifted. Mm -hmm. And because I guess it happens gradually, it just has become completely 
what everyone's used to. And, and that, that is a huge challenge. Do you have thoughts about um, sort of how to talk to parents about their, if their child is overweight and how to do it in a way that won't um, sort of be discouraging or embarrassing to them? Uh, sure. I, I am a registered dietitian and for many years um, counseled families who were trying to make behavior changes. I think behavior changes as a family are much easier than individual people recommendations within the family. So I think the notion of healthy eating patterns that start at an early age and activity patterns that start at an early age when the child is young and when parents and the whole family can really be active and and healthier together. Uh, Some very simple messages are to, you know, provide more fruits and vegetables at snacks and mealtimes. Perhaps provide the vegetables first before other parts of the meals. That has been successful in some studies. I think uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, soda, do not belong in a young children's diet. Uh, They're very good nutrient requirements, and parents really need to choose carefully to get the vitamins and nutrients in their child's diet within the energy requirements that that child has. So any additional extra discretionary foods like sodas, chips, candies, cookies, sweets, really need to be used for special occasions and infrequently. Uh, Offering water as a beverage is another simple change at uh, snack time. That, that parents can make. And I don't think people in this country recognize water as a beverage as much as they used to. Even going out in restaurants, I was thinking you, you really often have to ask now to have a glass of water. It's not coming with a meal. Right. So water as a beverage, I think, is going to be an important topic down the next couple of years. That makes complete sense to me because it does feel like water has, um, you know, kids. people sometimes feel like they're being boring or they're sort of just trying to save money mm-hmm. by just giving children water as opposed mm-hmm. to something mm-hmm. else. I know in the childcare setting, um, sometimes the people working in the childcare are resistant to this idea of just providing water because they think the parents will say, well, why aren't you giving them something more, like mm-hmm. juice or milk? So what have your um, experiences been looking at the childcare setting in terms of these policies? Um, a lot of our work at Mathematical Policy Research has been looking at the early Head Start or the uh, child care uh, programs, particularly aimed at low-income children, and really looking at um, snack time, meal time, activity time. And I think, you know, in a, in a large regard, whether it's the WIC or the non-WIC women's special program for feeding women, infants, and children, or if it's uh, early Head Start or not, A lot of the dietary and activity issues in this country really cut across all race, ethnic, and uh, income groups. The problems are the problems that the the population at large sees. So I think some of the behaviors I talked about in terms of uh, diet and physical activity, we certainly see in the child care setting, too. And, of course, improvement in policies and implementation of policies. Uh, There are a number of projects going on. I am moving. I am learning. Let's move, trying to get kids more physically active. I think there's a lot more attention on the preschool child care age group right now. Um, Five years ago, a lot of the nutrition work in child obesity was aimed at the schools, and rightfully so, since children spend a good part of their day there. 
But I think as those problems were somewhat tackled and school wellness policies, changes in the school nutrition standards, there's been a greater recognition of the early period, the infant-toddler preschool period is really being the critical period when you really need to get families on board. So I think childcare provides um, a wonderful opportunity to expose children to new foods to try, to keep them active, and to help educate parents as well. But that takes training, standards, uh, right. ways to measure. Right, but it does, I agree with you, it does feel like parents, when they're of young children, are really looking for information mm-hmm. and guidance mm-hmm. and um, often will have a closer relationship with the child care provider than they would later with the child's teacher yes. in school. And so it is it is a really nice opportunity um, to make that connection. Um, can you talk some about sort of how children's diets change over time? So let's say the transition from preschool to elementary school, do um, things tend to change? Certainly. I think if we were to have a trajectory from birth to elementary school to high school, um, you see a decline in dietary quality as children um, become more mobile. They're more outside their home. But a lot of the problems really start and stay at home. For example, sugar-sweetened beverages increase with age as children um, grow older. But a large proportion of the soda or sugar-sweetened beverages consumed are consumed at home or purchased by the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so while school and restaurant usage are very important, school is predo- or home, excuse me, is predominantly the main place where changes can be made. Um, and of course, it's an inexpensive source of calories, etc. But I think it's also um, how some children today have grown up, you know, and there's a natural tendency for children to like fat, salt, and sugar. And those are some of them learned behaviors and also practices learned very early in life. So the sooner we can um, work on that in an earlier age, the better. What, what do you think of those fruit drinks? So things like Capri Sun, Sunny Delight, um, Hawaiian Punch. Do those um, tend to be consumed a lot by young children? Those are very heavily consumed. In fact, those are considered to be sugar-sweetened beverages. They have a very um, low nutrient value. Some of them have about 10% fruit juice, but by and large, those are just one little step away from soda. Mm -hmm. And um, they are very heavily consumed, primarily amongst the toddler group, the 12 to 23-month-old groups. Um, so two-year-olds, three-year-olds, it's the predominant source of sugar-sweetened beverages. You start to see that switch over in elementary school to more of the soda as the kind of driving force, not the little sippy cup boxes, you know. Right. I sometimes get the impression that parents don't realize that those products, like the ones I just named, are significantly different than 100% juice, mm-hmm. especially the ones that have on the label that they are natural or that they provide 100% vitamin C and they always have pictures of lots Mm -hmm. of different fruits. Um, I wonder what it would take for parents to really understand what those products are. I think it would probably take a different or a more unique uh, marketing education campaign to really educate parents. I mean, reading food labels has always historically been a very difficult thing. And I think food marketing companies are very good at knowing what can legally be put on the label, but 
is perhaps providing information that's not readily understood by the consumer. So I don't think many people understand, particularly young parents of young children, that these drinks are mostly added sugar in some way, shape, or form, and uh, very little juice. And if vitamin C or some other nutrient is added, it's really not necessary. I think it's important for people to know we don't really have a nutrient problem in this country. Children eat, for the most part, adequate amount and are very well nourished from a nutrient standpoint. And part of that is because the food supply is fortified with nutrients and vitamins and minerals added. But it's not necessary. I mean, they can get those nutrients they need from fresh roots and vegetables. And I think the water, back to the water, uh, flavored waters, I think that's very misleading to people as well, because unless you really study the label, there is such a proliferation of flavored waters right now, some of which have calories, some have added vitamins, and some have sub- substantial amounts of added sugar to them. So you really have, a consumer really has to be knowledgeable and aware. Right. And I, and I think that that's such a huge burden to put mm-hmm. on the consumer. I, I know myself, even though, you know, I spend my time thinking about this issue too. I was in an airport once and bought a beverage that I really thought was water with maybe a little bit of flavoring mm-hmm. added and turned out was as many calories as a, as a soda would have been. Mm-hmm. And it's just so easy to get fooled. Yes. Um, and, and you don't always have the time to mm-hmm. stand there and study the label of mm-hmm. all the choices. So that is complicated. Um, just one last question. One of the issues I know we struggle with a lot at the Red Center is juice and mm-hmm. what our position is on children and juice and should they be given juice in childcare and how do you how do you communicate the American Academy of Pediatrics limits of four mm-hmm. to six ounces? So what thoughts do you have on that? I think juice in terms of 100% fruit juice is certainly a, a healthy beverage. And for many years, you know, it's a preferable beverage to other sorts of beverages like sodas or whatnot. But I think over the years, 10, 15 years, enough research has been done that we know that high amounts of juice – in terms of not only the natural sugar low, but the calories really can affect um, children's eating of other kinds of nutritious foods at the same meal. And that is important to limit those amounts. I think from our feeding infants and toddlers study between 2002 and 2008, we actually did see a decrease in the amount of 100% fruit juice that was being consumed to infants. Uh, much more in line with recommendations, and that was also true in the WIC population. So I think the message is getting out there. I think we did see large improvements in 100% fruit juice and in sugar-sweetened beverages because of the 2002 findings. And what we still have a problem with it is those things have improved among the infants and toddlers but at about you know age two or three, it just starts to go back up. So whatever those early changes are, and whether they're getting reinforced more by pediatricians or childcare providers, they're not being maintained as children get closer to age five. Mm-hmm. So it's really we need parents and the environment in general for young children to kind of help them maintain the healthier diet instead of this deterioration that seems to be yes. happening. Whatever we can do to improve the environments the children are in, um, access to healthier beverages, lower cost healthier beverages. Yes. Yes. 
Well, thank you so much um, you. for joining us here at the Rudd Center. Um, this is Marlene Schwartz. I'm the deputy director, and I would just like to mention that if you're interested in listening to other podcasts like this one, you can visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org. Thank you. Thank you.